We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. To the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. How are you doing this morning on Voice America Women's Network? And good morning to my co host, Lauren Deller. How are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I am excellent. How are you feeling? Uh, yes, and that's a loaded question because uh, I have been feeling really, really lousy. I had that same thing that you had several weeks ago. I gave you no sympathy. I, Lauren kept emailing me, I am so sick, the baby's sick, I have 102 temperature. And if you were listening to our show, remember I said to you, uh, oh, Lauren, you know, too bad. You had, a, I think you had a lecture to give. and I You said, said suck it up and get in the car. Yeah, you said, well, I, I've been in the house for a week, and I haven't been able to suck it up. I have this coughing and, oh, my, I mean, if any of you out there have gotten it, and I think it's going across the country. I mean, I know my kids have gotten it, friends, you know, people I work with. It's like, like Lauren used, like you said, it's like 102 temperature when you're an adult. I don't know, it's the flu, what do you call it? Um, I think it's definitely the flu. Okay, flu, whatever. And it's not, I didn't have the flu shot, but then somebody else, I have all my somebodies who give me advice, said that it, they haven't been pinpointing the strain of flu that people have gotten anyway with the flu shot, so not necessarily if I had the flu shot, I wouldn't have gotten it. Exactly. Yeah, but oh, it just kind of, I, and I, it, you know, it affects my brain too. It does. It does. I'm trying to remember things. I can't remember anything because it, it just kind of, it's, it's systemic. It's this yeah. like, Oh, my goodness. All right, so if you hear me coughing, everyone, just, you know, Lauren's going to take over because I did have a coughing fit on my Monday show, and there was no one to take over. I had to just turn the mic off. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to get myself going. Yeah, but coming up, we're going to have two guests on the show today, and the first one is going to be, this is, this is a guy, quite a guy, actually. He has, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in his late 60s, and um, he's going to talk to us about a book that came out that he was part of. He's a storyteller, Paul Zeiger, and he participated in writing this book, which is called Proud Hands, and the, uh, the, and the monies that go to the, when, for, from this book uh, go to the American Parkinson's Disease Association. And I think, Lauren, there are at least a million people in this country who Wow, is that true? I didn't suffer. know that. Yeah, from Parkinson's. And, of course, with the aging population, it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he was a yoga instructor and obviously a you know, wow. Colorado man, so I always think about, you know, healthy, that kind of stuff. So it must have been quite a shock to him. So he's going to tell us his story. And then coming in, you probably know this guy, Bruce Cameron, uh, actually it's W. Bruce Cameron, and he wrote the book uh, uh, Seven, Eight Simple Rules for uh, Dating My Daughter. I and now he's this. eight simple rules for marrying my daughter. But his first book was the basis for the ABC, ABC TV show. If, if you remember that with John Ritter. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this one is going to be made into a movie. It's very funny. He's hilarious. He is really funny. So, uh, he, yeah, he's a cool guy. So he'll be on next. Uh, just got some stuff, Lauren, and I know you agree with me. I'm sort of talking to the choir here. But uh, did you get this stuff? Ten, I, ten things you should know about John McCain. <laughs> But you, <laughs> no, but let me hear. I want All to right. hear. Ten, ten things you should know about John McCain, but you probably don't. Now, I'm not saying these are gospel because I got them over on the on line, the so I have to, yeah. On the on internet. The in- mm-hmm. Which means it is gospel, right? I get it. It's, it's internet <laughs> gospel. Exactly. Internet gospel is something different than the real gospel, you know, the Bible. Okay, so you have to take it with 
with whatever you want to take it with. But these are pretty serious things. Well, first of all, ladies, McCain opposes a woman's right to choose. He said, and this came as a quote on the Internet, I do not support Roe versus Wade. It should be overturned. Mm, I, I have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in mind when you're deciding who to vote for. Oh, scary, okay. huh? Yeah, here's another one, ladies. The Children's Defense Fund rated McCain as the worst senator in Congress for children. He voted against the Children's Health Care Bill last year, then defended Bush's veto of the bill. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And I think it's real important for people to take a look at voting records. You know, we get caught up in this rhetoric, I think. I don't know but about this you. This becomes a popularity contest of who mm-hmm. do I like. Yeah. Take a look at Hillary's voting record. Take a look at Obama's voting exactly. record. Take a look right. at John McCain's voting record. They've been in Congress for a long time, at least McCain and Hillary have, and they've voted on a lot of things. How does that fit with who you want to be president of the United States? Take a look. at. Don't get caught up in all these TV ads and stuff. So, I mean, I, I have a couple more here. I think that's a good one. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, look Because our history is going to tell what the future is. Yeah, well, that's who they are. And exactly. that's who they've been. And especially, John, he's 71. I don't think he's going to start changing now, is he? I thought he was 72. I think he had a birthday. Well, they didn't make a big to-do about it. Oh, of course they didn't. <laughs> I'm the 70, yeah, I'm 72 years old and I want to be president of the United States. Okay. Uh, John McCain voted against establishing a national holiday in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and now he says his position has, quote, evolved, yet he continues to oppose civil rights laws. So I've named you three biggies right there. Those are I think. very big. Those mm-hmm. are very big, and I have heard that one. I also heard last night, this is an interesting one, but again, it's it's from a person, so it's not, I didn't hear it myself on CNN or anything, that he and his wife have had a prenup. They've been married 15 years, I think, and they've had a prenup. So that's why when he had to make his taxes public, his wife didn't have to because their prenup said that her money is not his money and his money is not her money, and she's the one with the bucks in the family. Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) I think it's very interesting that she went into it knowing that she has the money and that they're very separate, and she sounds like a smart woman. Yeah, she's a smart lady, and I was surprised. I I thought, because I look at her, and, you know, I kind of judge people by the way they look and the way they we all do. The like way we they all dress, do, yeah. Don't we? Yeah, we, tr- and, we try not to, but we do. We do, and I look at her, and before she spoke, which has sort of been in the past six months, Mrs. McCain, what's her first name? I forget her first name. Yeah, me too. Oh. Isn't that funny? I want to say Jackie, but I don't think that's, I know that's not right. She looked like a blonde babe, kind of. Exactly, Always wore these dresses, you know, very, if it's green, it's green, green, or red, red, and and fairly tight. And so I always thought, you know, she's probably a kind of like a bimbo type. But when you hear her speak, she definitely is not. And I heard her speak on on the Today Show, and I think there were a couple other national television shows she was on. Quite surprised. So when you tell me that she had a prenup, that's a smart thing to do, ladies. Absolutely. But that's his wife. That's not he. So uh, Cindy, Cindy McCain. Isn't that her first name? I think so. That might be, yeah. That sounds great, yeah. So we'll call her Mrs. McCain, but Mrs. anyway, McCain, that's yes. a smart thing to do. And I, I hear that she's worth about $100 million. That's what I, I heard, don't know. too. Yeah. yeah, that's what I heard, too. So I definitely would have a prenup if it were my – is this his second or third marriage? I don't know. I'm thinking second, but they haven't made a big deal of it, so maybe it's the third. Yeah. He so is his, 72. 
yes, we want to remind you, he is 72. Um, so, you know, anyway, that was one of the smart things I guess the McCain family could have done. So if she doesn't have to show her, that's good. So she doesn't have to show her taxes. That's very separate because I'm all for prenups. I think that women don't protect themselves. They get all caught up. In her case, obviously, she had a lot to protect. But even if you don't, I think that I she... think it's smart. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, you know, you get all this the the rap about it's not romantic and it's you're getting into a marriage and it's supposed to be forever and all this kind of stuff. But you have to look at the re- here again. Look at the record. Exactly, getting... that's exactly right. Look at the record. The record, the past proves the future history. Yeah, getting married for the second time. He's getting married for the second time, third time, whatever. That's just the way it is. Let's deal with the reality and go from there and exactly. make sure that you take care of yourself. So prenup, ladies, if you're considering getting married for the second time, it's just all part of the marriage contract. That's what I would say. I would agree with that, Good. and I'm not someone that followed it. So to say that honestly, you know, I was, you know, not someone that followed it, and I should have. Yeah. And, and not that I'm speaking from, you know, there's a big mistake on the table, but you know, I I can see why we you don't do it, and I can see why you totally should do it. What was the reason behind your not doing it? It's such a good question. Um, you know, at the time, it was not on the forefront of my mind, and I felt like mine was mine and his was his, and it was sort of how we were going into the relationship, you know, that things were pretty separate. I don't mean separate, like, you know, my money and my assets, I was still con- were going to still manage and maintain, and vice versa, he was going to still manage and maintain, and, and quite honestly, we continued to do that. You know, but we all know when you get married, that's legally, that's not how it is. Exactly. Well, and also going into a marriage and coming out of a marriage, the introduction and the exit are two very different very emotional different processes. Absolutely. So you have to be prepared for something that you're not in the head, which is difficult in the headset for doing and the mindset for doing. But you know what, Lauren? I think if you think of prenups in terms of like when you're writing out your will, I mean, one and Just you, like that. it's the same thing. I mean, you're not prepared to die. You're not even thinking about it. And some people start. Uh, writing their wills when they have children and they're young and it's not something that they are certainly not in the, the mindset for but it's practical it's something they want to protect their children and it's all about protecting your children protecting yourself this is the same thing so um, I think that it's just if you kind of can put it into a business realm rather than into an emotional realm it makes it much easier to do totally agree with you and I do have a will I did that immediately you know as soon as I had a baby that was the thing actually I had a will much longer but I changed it and updated it when I had a baby but I had a will for years and think that's a really important piece yeah I do too uh, we, you know we, our guest is a little bit late but he's going to be coming in in about another minute so we're going to you know Laura, we're only going to have a chance to talk to him like for a, a couple minutes um, and then we'll probably go to break and we'll come up with the uh, with the next guest but I think he's almost ready to go so we have um, Paul Zeiger. Paul is, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't mention too much about him, but Paul is the Colorado man, the yoga instructor, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And he and several others have come out with a book called Proud Hands Book, which is, it delivers the message about 28 patients living well with Parkinson's disease. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Paul. I'm happy to be there. Uh, it's great to have you. Sorry we got mixed up in the times here, but we've got a few more minutes, and we'll kind of dig into our break. We can delay that a little bit, so we'll have a chance to talk. All right, okay. so, Paul, you are now 71 years old, but you were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at age 69, and uh, I'm assuming you're a Colorado man that I think about healthy and yoga instructor, and then all of a sudden uh, you're hit with this, uh, you know, what one would consider a terrible diagnosis. Talk to us about that. Well, that's about the size of it. I uh, I was in very good health. I never uh, spent any uh, 
significant time in the hospital uh, up until uh, that diagnosis. And it came as a great shock not only to me but, of course, to, to my wife. And it made some big changes in our lives. We had to reorient uh, what we thought we were doing. And uh, one of the changes was to uh, move from uh, Tucson, where we were living in retirement, back to uh, Denver, where we had a lot of close family because we wanted that family support. So what was the first thing that when they told you when that you, you came down with the diagnosis? I know you had some symptoms, and this happens to people. You know, I guess there are, what, one million people in this country who have or have been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. But, like, when it first happened, you know, it, it, it sounds like you had some symptoms, but you kind of, like, push them aside. You don't want to think that maybe there is a problem. Well, the clinchers were the uh, failure to swing an arm when walking and uh, a shuffling gait and uh, uh, stooped posture when walking. Those are, those are dead giveaways. Uh, before that, my wife had observed a lot of things that were... Uh, puzzling, and I, I wanted everybody else to know this as well, that Parkinson's can come on with a variety of different uh, symptoms. Uh, one of mine was uh, I completely lost my sense of smell. Uh, another one uh, was I had uh, greater anxiety, stage fright, uh, before uh, doing something that would normally produce small amounts of anxiety. Suddenly it was producing larger. So there were a lot of funny things that eventually uh, became resolved when we, got the, when we got the diagnosis. We said, oh, okay, this is a devastating diagnosis, but at least we know what we're up against at this point. And uh, one of my first uh, moves was to increase my own yoga practice. That had been a support to me for over 20 years, and uh, I had lost the ability to do a couple of the harder poses, and I just went at it hammer and tongs and got, that, got those poses back. One of the things, Paul, that you just mentioned, and I think it's important, is yes, there are some signs and symptoms that are typical of all people, but then one of the things to look for, let's say if you think perhaps that you may become uh, suffering from Parkinson's disease, is that there are, if there are just changes in things that you as an individual were able to do and now you can't do them anymore, that's another sign, and it may be different for different people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's important. And it, because you talk about it, you know, Parkinson's disease, it may be life-altering, but it doesn't have to be life-limiting, and you really took that, I think, to the nth degree. What about ProudHandsBook.com? Talk to us about that, because we want people to go out and, and buy it, and because the monies go to the American Parkinson's Disease Association. So what's the book about? Well, it, it consists of uh, 28 short, easy-to-read stories from 28 people, uh, who, like me, have responded to a diagnosis of Parkinson's with some uh, positive moves for, all right, what can we do with our lives now? There's, uh, there's one uh, woman who took up painting and discovered that uh, she could, uh, she, that she was a much better artist than she had uh, formerly realized. Uh, there are others like me who have uh, revitalized their uh, exercise programs and have uh, put more energy into paying attention to the body, keeping it fit, and especially uh, learning how it's working, even if it isn't working the way it was a couple of a couple of years ago. Yeah. So in other words, you kind of you go through the process of grieving the loss of your body of the way it was, and then yeah. okay, this is what I have to work with now, and I'm going ahead and doing what I can do to maximize everything I've got. That is uh, exactly right. That's that's. How, how I would put it, too. 
And in my case, it was uh, sharing what I learned on my own body with my yoga students. So now I have uh, a yoga teaching practice that consists entirely of people with Parkinson's. So what, what, in doing that, I guess, I mean, I, my next question was, you know, most people view Parkinson's disease as a handicap, but uh, uh, you are really working, I think, to dispel that image with the kind of work that you're doing, writing the book, uh, you know, your yoga classes with persons with Parkinson's disease, all of those kinds of things, because that's like can do. It's not can't do, but can do. It's important to go for, for, for what you can do. There will be quite enough things that you can't do without, you know, making it any worse. Yeah. So how, in, in terms of your disease, has it progressed or have you been able to arrest, you know, some of the... I think arrest would be much too strong a term. Uh, right at the beginning, when I, when I was first diagnosed, uh, I had a lot of room to, pre- to, to, to really work with my body and get some stuff back. Since then, I've uh, gradually introduced the uh, good neurological med- medications. I started off on Azelect, and uh, I'm still taking very low doses of, uh, of Parkinson's meds. But the, uh, the, the, the meds have relieved some of the stiffness, which allowed me to do better yoga poses, which in turn then allowed me to do more things in my activities of daily living than I would have been able to otherwise. So, Paul, you approached the whole thing from a, a very gestalt point of view. I mean, I heard in the beginning you said you've moved to where you have support from family and friends. That's right. very important, obviously. You have support from your wife. You do yes. the exercise, your work. Uh, and and the medication, so it's really a combination of a lot of different kinds of things, not just. It's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's important to attack on all fronts. Yeah, attack on all fronts, which is exactly what you've done. Have you become friendly with any of the other uh, persons who in the book who um, have you know have written their inspirational stories in in proud hands? Uh, I've read a bunch of the stories. I'm only personal friends with one of them, who happens also to be from Denver, and she is the accordion player who had to do the same kind of thing with her accordion playing that I did with my yoga. So what did she do? Uh, well, she put a lot of work into figuring out what she could and couldn't do in the way of uh, handling the accordion and still get music out of it. She also took up yoga and uh, dancing. So uh, she was a, 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 a multiple threat uh, Parkinson's person. So, Paul, what it does is it kind of like, you know, if you look at it from the positive point of view, it's like you got to stimulate your creative juices because we are very creative people, and I think sometimes we really get bogged down even, and, and we kind of let those things go by the by until we're like pushed to have to do something about it and like, like, like what you've done and what the other the individuals in these stories have done too. You know, just there's a lot of creative stuff you can do out there when you're, you know, thrown the, well, this kind of a diagnosis, which, as we'll say again, doesn't, it may be life-altering, but not life-limiting. Um, well, I couldn't agree with you more. It is certainly a challenge to one's creativity, and uh, I think that's uh, that's one of the most important messages one could uh, could make about Parkinson's. You got to pay attention to your body. You got to get creative. You got to use what medical science has uh, has given us. And if you want to read more about it, there's the website for the book. Okay, give us the website, and then we're going to have to say goodbye. Okay, at Proudhands. Book.com. That's proud hands with an S. Book.com. And, and your you donation. can reserve a copy of that for 15 bucks, all of which goes to the American Parkinson's Disease Association to support research, patient and caregiver support, and education. Terrific. It's great having you on the show. You sound like a terrific guy, and we uh, really appreciate you telling your story today. Paul Zeiger.
Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break, and uh, coming up in this next hour, we've got Bruce Camper on Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Thanks for joining us this morning with Lauren Beller, my co-host. We'll be back in a minute. talk with you not at you we're voice america women's radio network the new face of talk radio ladies are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything well here it is timeless women speak on the voice america women's channel we'll talk about sexuality age proofing your career finding your passion and purpose keeping your brain power keeping your marriage fresh Dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel. Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle-class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends, your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug-dependent, prescription drug-dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Gracer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Catherine Zoff Show. I'm Catherine Zoff, your social worker with a microphone. Thanks for joining us this morning on Voice America Women's Network with Lauren Beller, my co-host, and now with Bruce Cameron, actually it's W. Bruce Cameron, Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter, and his uh, other book, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Daughter, was the basis for the ABC TV show, Eight Simple Rules, and this book is absolutely hilarious. He offers advice for every father whose little girl is all grown up and heading down the aisle whether he's ready or not, and that's dad. It's never too early for a father to start worrying about how no man is good enough for his little girl and why, and this is the key, during the planning and execution of this complex ritual, and exactly, and it is exactly that, is his sage advice and counsel only appreciated well by himself. How true. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Bruce. Thanks for having me. You are a very funny guy. I mean, you just hit on all the stuff in this book. It is just hilarious. Am I right? This book is also going to be made into a movie? Well, that's right. Yeah, we've partnered with uh, Wendy Feinerman, who did uh, little movies like Forrest Gump and <laughs> Devil Wears Prada. So she knows what she's doing, which is which is good, because I often don't. And, uh, yeah, we're going to make a movie out of it. Well, I have a feeling you know what you're doing, but nobody wants to listen to you. Well, that is the problem, <laughs> isn't it? I yes, mean, in it the is. end, very often fathers are very good at, at planning events that require moving material and, and handling logistics, none of that matters. No one cares that he might be good at that because a wedding is 
by its very nature designed to be complete chaos. And men don't do well in chaos. I think that's part of the whole thing, right? They want it all, and they don't understand all the nuances of the wedding, which is all of these things that you touch on. I want to talk about some of the really funny things. But um, it's really difficult for men to get into that whole, we- it's a wedding mentality. Well, yeah, men- mentality is a good word because it seems crazy. And, uh, yeah, it starts out, you know, men and women are so different in the way they plan things to a to a man, a plan is a piece of paper which has, you know, tasks and dates and completions and milestones. And when a bunch of uh, young ladies get together to discuss a wedding, pretty much it's just everybody talking at once. And a man watches and thinks, how, do, how does anything get done? I mean, they, ultimately it does get done, but part of the frustration is it doesn't seem like it's going to. Because the process is different. It, you're right. The end result may be the same for a man yeah. or a woman. Or maybe it wouldn't be. I think if the man just, you know what, I'm not so sure it would be. If, a man, if, if the father of the, of, the, uh, of the bride planned the wedding instead of the mother of the bride, I, it may be a different outcome. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think, well, let's take the groom just to start with because his attitude is, uh, Oh, you know, do what you want, which is sort of like air traffic control telling an airplane, hey, land wherever you feel like it, you know. <laughs> and then it, then the father of the bride is kind of the same thing. I mean, if, if you know, most fathers of the bride would say, all right, well, why don't we just put everybody put a plastic card into a machine and it'll stamp it and then you're married. That would really cut down on expenses. And he's the one who ends up paying for most of it. Although things have changed today, I think sometimes everybody ends up paying for a little bit of it. So that may be a little bit different. But uh, they don't come to him for advice until uh, till they need the money, till you know, writing the check, right? I think, I think the pain gets spread pretty evenly now. But I, but I also agree that uh, the father of bride traditionally is the one who supposedly writes all the checks. And, but, and yet it doesn't buy him much in terms of input into the whole process. So, Bruce, what is the purpose of the father of the bride? <laughs> uh, you know, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. I, I think that uh, the number one thing is he's supposed to walk down the aisle and hand his daughter over to some stranger who's going to take off with her for a couple of weeks. I think that's, the, that's his main purpose is to completely go against every instinct that he has. Because up until that point, as you say in the book, he's been protecting her from these guys, and now suddenly the guy who's been hanging around the living room, she's marrying him, and it's yeah. like a huge shock. Yeah, and, and in Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter, I talk about how all of this is such a shock to the father because he's never been told anything that this might happen other than things like, oh, we're getting really serious, I'm really in love, and I might get married. But how does it, how are you supposed to extract from that anything? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's in between when you're watching the football game and you sort of hear these words coming through, but you're not really listening, right? Well, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's wedding talk. Most of the time men just shut that off as soon as they hear what that's what the topic is. Because, you know, from the very beginning, I mean, little girls, it seems like one of the first things they start talking about is what their wedding is going to be like when they grow up. I don't know where they get this stuff. I think it might be in your DNA. And I've never in my life, I've been hanging around guys as long as I can remember. I could never remember any of them saying, hey, Enough about the hockey game. I want to talk about what my wedding is going to be like. And what I'm going to wear and what the flowers are going to be like. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Well, talk about some of those hilarious, ridiculous kinds of as- – well, you you say ridiculous aspects of a wedding because they're very funny. Some of the stuff, it's like it's just, wow, what what are they thinking? What's the – you know, the, the – yeah, weddings, weddings now have a theme. Like, a, like they have to have a theme, and I think – 
you know, I thought the theme was uh, everybody's going to get married and then dad's going to declare bankruptcy. Yeah, but right. it turns out the theme is, you know, something like the flowers in springtime with birds chirping. I don't know. It's really it's impossible. It, it looks to me like the theme of this one is everybody's really crabby. <laughs> and then uh, and then the theme then leads to the wedding colors. The wedding has official colors now, you know. So, and these are these are colors that are not normal. They're, they're colors you've never heard of, like atmosphere, persimmon, and vengeance. Those no, aren't no colors. No blue and green and, and yellow. Those those colors are out. No, and this no, other no. one that you said, Bruce, is so funny. And I, I just why the bouquet must include a species of flower found only at the tip of the Himalayas. That's right. I'm yeah. assuming that if I'm going to, uh, that my daughter's going to require me to hire a Sherpa in order to get the flowers for her wedding. These are so funny. Uh, eight simple rules. Okay, what are the rules though? What are some of these rules? We haven't even touched on those. Well, you know, this all started. I, uh, I wrote eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter. It was a newspaper column that morphed into a book and then became a TV show. I've sort of become the eight simple rules guy, although sometimes I think eight is not enough. But I, but I, and so it was just natural that uh, when I wrote eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter, I didn't realize it, but I was just fighting a, a skirmish at that point. I didn't realize there was a bigger game to come, and that's why we have eight simple rules for marrying my daughter. Is that now I'm in the big leagues? Yeah, now and, the stakes uh, are high. All right, and I'm and I'm behind. You know, because it, it turns out this is sort of like a, a an unstoppable process. And I keep saying that, you know, we should all wait uh, until I'm ready. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to be ready until after my first autopsy. <laughs> You're never going to be ready. No, no they're never ready. Uh, okay, so given that, okay, so you're not going to be ready. Uh, is, that what it, uh, is that rule number one? Now, rule number one would be to the young man who thinks he's going to marry my daughter. If you neglected to ask my permission before you proposed to my daughter, don't worry. You can make it up to me by making sure your wedding is both beautiful and to another woman. <laughs> it's goodbye. Well, I think it's very important to, to have a tradition where the young man asks the father for permission to marry his daughter, and the father says no. That's a very important part of the whole process. I mean, do you re- do you really think so? Do I mean, what about mothers now? Do you think that they think they should be asked permission too? I mean, with all this equality stuff, does it change things around? Well, you know, one of the things that happens with eight simple rules for marrying my daughter is I explore the whole idea of the the blended families and and how, you know because I've uh, I, I'm personally divorced and um, the you know. There's been remarriage, and there's other, you know, there's just, as families get more and more uh, complicated, these these issues get more complicated, because weddings, it seems, are very traditional, unless it's a non-traditional wedding, which has a lot of traditions, too, uh, for some reason. I don't understand how that works, but the... the uh, weddings are very traditional, and yet people may no longer be in traditional roles. There may be, uh, you know, uh, two fathers, uh, three fathers. Who knows? I mean, there's just all sorts of things going on that you really have to sort of take into consideration. Yeah, I think that's so important because I'm really glad you brought that point up, Bruce. Because I too am divorced. I'm trying to get um, my mind is going. I don't. I, my boys are in. I have boys, so I don't have to worry about that. But still, it's well, the thing that you said was that like we have this 
quote, sort of traditional weddings that we're trying to put into non-traditional families. And it is kind of a disconnect. It doesn't work. So you've got all this, like, traditional stuff. But like you say, you may have three mothers, three fathers, eight sets of grandparents, one yeah. mother, who knows. And so it's like, it gets really complicated. Yeah, and as if it wasn't complicated enough, you know. I mean, weddings start off uh, impossibly complicated and then immediately get worse. And there's always an expectation on the part of the bride that this is going to be her perfect day. And this is the this is where I, in Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter, I talk about one of the jobs of the father. Sometimes it feels like he's got no job at all, but one of them is to prevent his daughter from becoming a bridezilla. Now, a bridezilla is a, is a word, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you're familiar with it, it's a combination of uh, Godzilla, which is fire-breathing monster, and bride, which is fire-breathing monster. And when you, the two of them come together and they make a bridezilla, it's a real big fire-breathing monster. And you have to prevent your daughter from becoming a bridezilla, but you realize there's all this pressure on her to, to make it a perfect day. She is supposed to be the director, choreographer, producer, writer, and star of a show that opens and closes in one night and has to be perfect with, with no, virtually no dress rehearsal. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. So you've just come up with a job for the father of the bride. Alleviate that pressure. How do you do it? And you're so right, Bruce. It has to do with expectation. It's a setup for, for disaster, the yes. whole thing. As you just, a, yeah. As soon as they start saying this is going to be a perfect day, you know it's not going to go perfect or even very well. I mean, it could be perfectly are, awful. Yeah. I mean, just look, bringing my parents in from out of town on an airplane, is, is that's going to go wrong just to begin with. They can't yeah. fly anywhere without it going wrong. So that's not going to go well. In fact, normally you're, by the time you're done, your relatives wind up scattered all over the country like the 101st Airborne and D-Day. You know, they just, they don't, <laughs> none of them landed in their drop zones. And nobody likes this, nobody likes the hotel they're staying at. There's always a problem, and that becomes primary for each one of the guests. Your your the guests, the parents, the siblings, whatever. So that's a whole other issue. Uh, so you you really need. What about these wedding planner things? Are they helpful? Do they these who plan the event, or is that just another? Well, you know, in the uh, in Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter, I talk about wedding planners. Now, um, the father thinks he should be the wedding planner. Uh, no one else agrees with that. Um, so I, I do talk about wedding planners. There's a wedding planner uh, described in the book. I think it's. Uh, I think my my honest opinion about wedding planners is that they, uh, the ones that are good, and of course there are some probably that aren't very good, but the ones that are good are, are extraordinarily helpful. They do save you money. They are nonetheless. Uh, expensive and add another layer of management to a process. So it's a sort of a mixed bag. I would, if I could afford one, I would get one because I think in the end they would save you a lot of money and a lot of time. And, and they certainly seem to be dialed into all the details that a father might miss. You know, they just, they're, they're not thinking in terms, they, they haven't done it a hundred times. Fathers haven't. And so they're not thinking. But then again, the fathers don't want to, the fathers think, this is simple. You go up, you stand, you say a few words. You go to a banquet, you have a meal, that's it. How hard can it be? 
Uh, well, but, Bruce, if you read your book and we want all listeners to read the book, obviously you'll find out it's not so simple. So it's really important before anybody decides to get married, you've got to read Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter. We'll have to start with that, right? We have to start with that. Yeah. But you just, I'm thinking, you know, these wedding planner things, you take some of the father's skills, who some of these guys who maybe work in corporate America, they've run their own business, take some of those business skills, put them to work, and, and have them do something that maybe like, helping the wedding planner, you know, be making sure that stuff gets done, uh, you know, give a uh, father a job that he can do. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if that's ever going to happen. In in, uh, in my book, uh, I describe not one, but two weddings uh, that get geared up. One, a traditional church, followed by a dinner kind of wedding. The other one wants a non-traditional wedding at sunrise on the lip of the Grand Canyon, and it just is uh, pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And in, in the process, the, the, any suggestion the father comes up with, like here's a great suggestion. You can now rent really expensive wedding gowns. And that seems to make so much more sense to me than buying one because they're they're hideously expensive. I mean, Donald Trump's wife spent as much for the hers as like you would for like a hotel or something. And, and in the end, uh, you've got it for one night. I mean, you're just... You're just not going to wear it again, other, other, unlike the bridesmaid's dresses, which you'll wear never. But, but Bruce, that's such a masculine attitude. Yes. It is. I mean, there it is. Like, it's, you know, you can't wear it practical, right? You're never going to wear it again, although some of them may. You could maybe, if you get married again, you could save it and marry it, wear it again. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there's some kind of rule that says if you wear the same dress in a second wedding, it's like bad luck or it's something. It's like not a good thing. Well, you can dye it, change the color, or shorten the skirt or something. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm now I'm. Oh, what were we talking about? We're talking about the, the dresses, right? Yeah. Uh, just I just lost my train of thought on that when we were talking. Well, about you were saying that I was being too masculine because I was saying you can rent a, a dress. Yeah, you can rent it, but there's, see, there's all that sentiment attached to the dress, and it doesn't really matter that you're only going to wear it once. It, there's nothing practical practical about picking out the wedding dress. Um, so that's why women just want to buy that five thousand dollars, and they are they're five thousand dollars. I know, I know, and they want, and they look like what would happen if you took a brand new white Volvo station wagon and crumpled it up in a car crusher. That's <laughs> what they look like, and it, and this thing is enormous. So when you're done with it, you're going to seal it in a casket and put it in the in the in the closet like it's a dead relative or something like that, and it's and it's going to take up all this room. And what are you going to do with it? Every time you move, you're going to be grappling with this big box. You're going to move it and. You know, and then 25 years later, you're going to open it up and show it to to your daughters because they're getting married, and their daughters will laugh at the style. And that's they'll it. laugh at the style, or they can't fit into it anyway. Right there, you go. Yeah. So yeah. all right. So be practical. This is well. This could be one of the rules, right? You know, just rent the dress. And there, yeah, and you're right. It's a big business now renting the dresses. What about these destination weddings? How does that fit into the eight that's rules? That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea because instead of everybody flying in to be with you, you just fly away. And you know, the, the father is immediately intrigued with this because it sort of combines the the idea of the elopement, which is a pretty cheap uh, way to go for the father anyway. But, but it also, you know, it's but it's not a surprise. I mean, I don't think uh, fathers always there's always a joke that you know buy your daughter a ladder. But I don't think that any father really truly wants to wake up one morning and find a ladder outside his daughter's door and find that she's taken off. That's we don't want that. So if you if it were announced that your daughter was getting married and you did your best to figure out if you wanted it to happen or not, and then it turns out it doesn't matter what you want, and then 
you get you have some time to get used to it, and then they get on an airplane and they go somewhere, uh, and then they come back and they're married. That's that's kind of a that's kind of a nice idea for a father. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, and it gets everybody out of their emotional zone because it's it's on sort of neutral territory when you're having it someplace else. Yeah, and the whole family and friends are sort of participating in not only the wedding but kind of the honeymoon too. It's like an all-in-one kind of thing. So that, that's I, I like that destination wedding stuff. Um, we have a few more minutes. Any we, we don't want to tell everybody what's in the book because they got to go. They can buy the book Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere, and we want to mention a website they can go to. And I can't wait to see the film. It's going to be, I'm sure, a very funny film. But uh, so, what do we want to leave listeners with about this whole wedding thing? The eight simple rules for marrying my daughter. Well, I think what we, uh, what I want to say is that uh, if, especially if you're a daughter or a wife out there, and you've got a man in your in your life, he's either your father or your husband, and and uh, you know that this this lies in his future. This is something even if, he's, if his daughter's only three years old, even if she's only uh, a picture in an ultrasound at the moment, you know that someday a father's going to have to grapple with these issues. And I wrote this book. Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter is a way for those women to say to those men, hey, look, we, you know, we don't have time to talk to you right now, but we just want you to, <laughs> want you to know that we really, we really do get that you're going through something here, that, you're, that it's not just all about the bride, that actually the father of the bride is having feelings too. Yeah, so we have to be kind to the father of the bride. And I think another thing you said is we have to prepare him along the way. Just don't, you know, uh, he needs some preparation. Maybe he needs a lot more preparation for that wedding day than either the mother or the daughter. Yeah, the mother and the daughter are usually pretty pretty jacked up on all the sugar and everything, and they're feeling pretty happy and excited about it. But the father of the bride, I'm telling you, it's it's our job to protect our daughters. We we see them when they're real tiny, and we vow to them in their cribs, we will always watch over you. It doesn't occur to us that that vow has an expiration date and that when uh, your daughter is standing up in front of you and she says, I do, from that moment on, something goes wrong with her car, she's not going to call you. She's going to call her husband. She's going to you know? call, yeah, she's going to call her new guy. Bruce Cameron, so great to have you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. And a fabulous book, Eight Simple Rules for Marrying My Daughter and Other Reasonable Advice from the Father of the Bride. You can go out, you can buy it, Amazon.com, bookstores anywhere, and and then we're going to get an opportunity to see the movie. Yeah, and check out my website, wbrucecameron.com. i got a video on there. Terrific. wbrucecameron.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show on Voice America Women's Network. ladies is that defining line between been there done that and ain't going back baby yeah i've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers maybe even dolls babes darling sugar and sweetheart but i say that women are truly amazing join dr marlene for amazing women brains beauty and style every wednesday at 1 p.m pacific right here on the voice america women's radio network did you smile today 
A healthy, attractive smile shows confidence and will give others a great first impression. Tune in to Dr. Chad for Smile Radio. If you have a question that you've always wanted to ask your dentist but were afraid to, Dr. Chad is here to help. Did you know there's a strong connection between oral health and general health and well-being overall? Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, that's 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Smile Radio with Dr. Chad. Ladies, what are you willing to do to live the life of your dreams? Are you willing to start today? If your answer is yes, even if you are just mildly curious, you've got to tune in to Wise Divas with life coach and host Teresa Proctor each Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Start living your wildest dream today. talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning with Lauren Beller, my co-host, and Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on the Voice America Women's Network and uh, streaming uh, 24-7 on the Voice America Women's Network. And you can go to CatherineZox.com if you want to uh, uh, catch the link to the Voice America Women's Network. And my, you'll take a look at my website, and you can also listen to all of our shows. They're all there, and they're all archived. So what did you think, Lauren? He was very cool. Oh, my God, he's yeah. funny. But, you know, it's interesting. He's funny, but he's really hitting on some real topics that never really get addressed. Yeah, exactly. And that's what his book does. I mean, he's got a lot more stuff in the book. We don't want to talk about everything in the interview, but, uh, yeah, and I, it'll, I'm sure it'll be a very funny movie, but, uh, no one ever thinks about the thought. They don't care. Maybe if they think about him, they don't really care. It sort I of think gets... that we think they don't have the feelings that he's admitting that they have. Exactly. And because men aren't taught to admit Exactly. Yeah. They're not going to stop and say, well, you know, how do you think this makes me feel? Because they don't want to wreck the day for anybody. Or they don't want to, I think, when do men ever do that? So I love what he's talking to, and he's doing it in such a funny way that it's got, it can't not be a funny movie. Yeah, it's got to be a hit. He's making me laugh. <laughs> well, you have a shot at it because you have, your daughter is two. And so you can prepare your husband, Rob, for the day when she's going to get married. I mean, you do have an opportunity here. Uh, it, I mean, it's going to be difficult for you, too, but, you know, as we were talking about, very different for women, mothers I think and daughters. it's so different for women because women don't, I don't know, it's, um, it's almost a relief, I would think, and I'm making this up, that she's got a partner in the world. You know what I mean? I can see that there's, like, she's not... Because I think it's important for us to be independent, strong women. And at the same time, it's I know for me it's nice to know there's someone to lean on. Yeah. You view it as, as the mother of the... Of the exactly. As, as a partner. So you don't see it as the aggressor coming to take Definitely your little not. girl away it's from true. you. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And interesting that that's how a man would see it, but that's so much more tribal, don't you think? I think it's... <laughs> It's very caveman. Exactly. But and, and it's very normal. It's normal because men are hardwired, that caveman mentality, and so are we, cavewoman mentality, but that they are, you know, they sort of own their daughters and their daughters belong to them. 
women don't see it that way. Exactly. And, and especially by the time their daughters are old enough to get married, and even now today they get married so much later, maybe 20s or 30s, their daughter has already become a friend and a confidant and a partner, so you don't view it as somebody trying to kind of take over because you don't view that kind of a relationship in the same way that, the, that her father would. Exactly. It's so interesting. And he's saying this going, you know, I guess I never st- stood in their shoes thinking about what it would be like from their perspective. So interesting. Yeah. So, and and I think the whole issue too now, and if you're not always dealing with just one father. You're dealing with stepfathers and and you know two fathers, three fathers. Uh, there's you know sometimes no fathers. So there's just so many different things, so many different issues. I think to tackle when when someone's getting married these days, everything is changing. And I think and it's in flux in terms of marriages and the way marriages are. Are, are done and um, and why people are doing it. You know, I just think that people are getting much more grounded about the whole concept. And I don't know, I'm, when I speak to older people, older, you know, 40s, 50s, I, I was one for a walk with my neighbor the other day. Now she's married, second time, one child, um, just one by her. And she said, you know, there's no reason to get married these days unless you're going to have kids. That was her perspective. And um, interesting, I just I thought I was one of the only people that thought like that. <laughs> You're not, I, and I'm in a different uh, you know a different cohort than you are in terms of age. But more and more people who are in that age group, also 50s and 60s, who either are thinking about remarrying because of divorce or death or whatever, say, "Well, wait." Why would I get married? Why do I get into like combining all this? You know, we were talking about prenuptials earlier. Like, I have to worry about the money situation. I have my own house. All of those. You know, why get married? And I think that yeah, that's really going to change. I I do too. I think we're going to have a real different um, opinion about it. And as people are in the newer, I'm very curious about our current generation that's growing up. You know, how are they going to view it, and why? You know, why? What's going to influence it? Are they going? Because it's interesting. I still see people in the past. Three and four years, I know of weddings that have happened that are thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar weddings. To me, it's just crazy. I have to say, the average wedding in the United States, Lauren, is twenty thousand dollars. I can't even believe that, it. That's the average. That's for people who you know just you know. I mean, you can go through working people who Ugh. you know work from paycheck to paycheck will actually pay twenty thousand dollars for one day which statistically we know isn't even going to last, probably. Exactly. 60% chance that it won't. But even if it does, I mean, take the money and do something else with it. I mean, I th- it's, yeah, it's I know. It's 20- amazing. It is amazing. I, I can tell you this. I, I've been married twice, as we've talked about, and combined out of my own pocket, and nobody else paid, I paid because I felt like it was my decision and I didn't want my family paying. So I paid for both my weddings, and they were combined less than $6,000. So you're a very practical person. <laughs> well, you're a woman. Well, that's why we get along so well. I have that same. I mean, I was married once, and I've decided never to be married again. Smart girl. If I didn't have a child, I'd be in the same boat with you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've had my children, so there's really no reason to get married. And the thought of giving up my own space or my own house would just drive me crazy. It was just, I can't do it. I just wouldn't do it. And it's just, and it's not that everything's perfect. You know, people listen to you talk that way, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you're just you're just talking and, you know, you, you're able to keep your own house. It's not. It, and there are some things that you miss, some things that you don't get. Sometimes it is nice to have the reassurance of somebody to be with you every night and, you know, change the light bulbs and do stuff you miss <laughs> doing around the house. And you have to do it yourself or you, the furnace goes off or that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can't have it all. But exactly. You, yeah, you have to weigh 
you have to weigh this stuff. But I think personal space and privacy and those kinds of things are real important to me. And, you know, you live longer and healthier, and so there are just going to be different choices and different decisions to make. But it would be interesting to see whether people, I mean, the average age of marriage is increasing. It's, I mean, it's, I don't know what it is now for, for um, college graduate women. It's over 25, I think, isn't it? I think it is. Oh, I think it definitely is. Um, yeah, I'm the, I don't meet many young people that are getting married. They're in their, well into their 20s, even early 30s is what I'm seeing personally. You know, what I see friends and, you know, family members or distant family members, things like that. What would you tell your daughter? What would you tell Sierra? I'm going to tell her she never has to get married for, unless she wants to. And what are the reasons? And I will ask her, it's great. If you want to, great. And what, like, what do you think you're going to get from it? I just want to, you know, I think it's important that you have that conversation. What will it give you? What are you going to ask her that question? I don't know, but I'm sure it will come up. I, although I can't imagine her wanting to talk about her wedding when she's, you know, five years old, like she was talking about on Laughing Stone, not my kid. <laughs> Walking around a little bride's dress with a tiara and that kind of stuff. No way. The wedding. No way. I, I was wondering that we have to have some kindergarten teachers on and see what do little kids do? How do they do that? Because they do that whole role-playing thing. And when they play house or when they play whatever they play, I, I was used to watch them and see who does what. Well, I have a theory that if someone did spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a wedding, and one of the things you get these days is that wedding video, and I have a theory that those little kids are watching that wedding video over and over and over, and those are the kids that are role modeling that and brainstorming that and looking forward to and dreaming about and dressing up for that. You know, well, I don't have one of those videos because I didn't spend that kind of money. <laughs> So it's not a problem. You're not going to have that role model. Exactly. Sierra's not going to have that role model. Exactly. That's true. It's sort of how you parent and what you set up for expectations for your daughter getting married. And what I mean, it's true. It comes out, and it all has to do with values. I mean, you know, you're teaching your daughter to be independent and separate and celebrate her own accomplishments and those kinds of things, not looking for some prince in, what is it, you know, in shining armor? Is that exactly. what Exactly, yeah, knight in shining armor. Knight in shining armor. No, and I think it's important to teach them to be independent, but just as important to teach them to ask for help. You know, when you need, when you are wanting help, you know, whether it's hiring a coach, whether it's calling the plumber, that not to try to do it all yourself, that the world is a great big world, that people are there to help you. So, you know, be independent yet to do the things that you're great at, but the things that you're not great at, reach out and ask for help and get partners, and you'll go really far in the world. And I think that that's something that I wasn't taught. I think I, 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 And I was taught that, which I think that's, a, and my mother, that's another generation. Exactly. I think, and, and, and it was one of the most helpful things to me. You're so right. If you can't do it, you can hire somebody to do it. You can barter with somebody to do it. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Run your house like you'd run a business. You can't run a business all by yourself. Well, you can't run a household all by yourself exactly. either. Exactly. It's and something that I, I don't think I saw much of. I saw my parents do it alone, like, and they... Something that was like the pride of, I can do that. I'll do that. You know, breaking their backs. I don't mean, and literally my father did break his back when I was a kid. <laughs> but I don't mean that, um, I don't mean that literally necessarily. But um, that's funny. I didn't realize that. I didn't even realize what I said until after I said it. So, yeah, I just, that's, that's interesting because I think that there's a lot of us. I was in, went to a secondhand store. I go to shop at this cute little kid's secondhand store right down the street from me. And my mother is in town this week. And every time she comes, she always wants to go. And, we always fight over who's going to pay. You know, it's always like $20, you know, to, yeah, for a whole boatload of clothes for Sierra. And I put my money down first, and the woman behind the counter said, um, 
you know, my son does the same thing. She says, I think we made a mistake with this generation. We taught them to be too independent and not take help. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. I thought she was very right about that. My She's right. Yeah. It's all about balance, and that's what we, well, that's we're going to wind up the show. It really is. It ends up being all about balance, and we'll talk more about that next week. Anyway, great great show today, and uh, thanks for being here, Lauren Beller and, and Catherine Zox. Thanks for joining both of us this morning on Voice America Women's Network. And if you didn't hear the shows this morning, you know, by this afternoon it's archived, and you can listen to it anytime you want. I've had a great day. I hope you have. Uh, have a great week, and Lauren and I will see you next week. 